0: 11FS. I'm Simon Taylor and this is Fintech Insider News. Today we bring you global payments by thesis our Are Revolut the most complained about fintech? And NatWest apologizes for patronizing women by patronizing women. All this and more on today's Fintech Insider. Welcome to episode three two seven of FinTech Insider. We are coming to you live from the Eleven FS office in Devonshire Square, London. I'm Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Mr. David Brier How's it going, David?
1: Super, super good. I'm um, just about back on UK time. It like took me way longer than I expected to to get over. you New had York. a little
0: road trip to the states. A and, little uh, road anybody trip. Anybody that listened to episode three two five will have heard uh, some of the. Yeah, that. I-
1: I'm kind of missing the like crazy big sub sandwiches and the Stromboli, but like I'm uh, yeah, I'm back in back in the uk stuff you're adjusting that's good stuff
0: all right as always uh we're not alone we're joined by some incredible guests this week we have uh making a new show debut is uh norris capel who is the ceo of moniz how are you doing norris i'm very good thank you I'm happy to be here thank you so much for joining us big big fan of moniz and everything you guys do and of course a uh, friend of the show gary turner and uh, of course co-founder and md over at zero how are
2: you doing gary I'm good. It's great to be back. I think it was 2016. So, like, you guys only just got going. Right? Oh, man. You're, you're an OG. I last one. Yeah, Definitely like, a OG. Thing, second side or OG. OG panelist.
0: <laughs> we like that. We like that. And of course, making a welcome return, Elaine Panzerino, who's MD at Rainmaking Collab. How are you doing, Alain?
3: I'm very, very well. I think my last appearance was with the all-female panel, if I can remember correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Not too long ago, I believe. Um, all right, let's get on to the first story this week. Um, the first story uh, comes from Reuters, and this was about global payments buying Thesis for $21.5 billion in the latest, and I'm using air quotes here, fintech deal. Um, so uh, Global Payments Inc. said on Tuesday it's going to buy Total System Services Inc. Uh, for $21.5 billion in stock. Um, it's the biggest uh, ever by Global Payments and it comes uh, after, of course, the recent WorldPay and uh, FIS, I believe it was, uh, deal that happened. Uh, the combined company, which will take the name of Global Payments <laughs> and have dual headquarters in Atlanta and Columbus, Georgia,
1: will be led by a 12-member board, 6 directors from each firm. My goodness. Thoughts that, on this one? I mean, that's a lot of money, isn't it? But I, but I guess when you're in a situation where essentially the, the you think of the amount of contracts that places like t must have, mm-hmm. you know, they must be 15, 20-year deals, like 21 billion can probably add up quite quickly given the amount of places that those guys are actually deployed, right? Um, so while I'm probably going to get into the sort of semantics about whether or not t are actually a fintech player, which I'd probably... Question quite hard, yeah. Um, maybe that twenty-one
2: billion probably isn't too far off the mark. Thoughts on this one, Gary? So I think, I mean, so the the, the strategy is kind of hiding in plain sight with the name Global Payments. They're obviously um, <laughs> have pretty big aspirations, um, and I think what this is another one in a line of pretty big deals and big investments that are being done in the industry at the moment. So I think actually, if you zoom back. We're in a real boom time. There's lots of big deals happening, and particularly in payments. And I wonder, slightly like half seriously, if it's businesses like Zero that are partly to blame because we're taking. It's all your fault, Gary. We We knew it was your fault. Well, basically, you're 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 moving to the subscription economy. Yes. And so, in terms of volume, then then the number of payments that are happening on credit cards in business are like multiplying by 12 because everybody's paying for things monthly now. Um, and so I wonder if actually when you, any anyone has any research on this, but um, there's obviously a lot happening in lots of spaces in financial services, but definitely payments feels like a really hot one at the moment.
0: Mm. And I wonder about businesses like Stripe um, and even the likes of an and, and all of the players in that sort of uh, ecosystem of, Um, merchant services that have been in the e-commerce space that have, you know, Stripe in its own right is valued at nearly 20 billion, Adyen something like 18 billion. Uh, By making an acquisition of of this sort of size around 21 billion, you're basically saying, well, those new fintechs are every bit as big and every bit of threat. So what are we going to do to defend against that threat? Well, we need to buddy up and make sure that we can operate at that kind of scale. But what I wonder about is, you know, M&A always looks great on the slide. It's like, we've well, got this bit and you've got that bit. And now if we make those two things kiss, we've got the perfect couple. But that doesn't work in reality all the time. What you end up with is a lot of businesses where you can never release the efficiencies because you've got legacy technology, legacy cultures. Will the two cultures play together? I I really don't know if this works out. I mean, any thoughts on that? It's a little bit like uh, Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank and you put two things
4: together. Do you get a better thing? That's always uh, questionable, I guess. So is it is it a, a fear of play or is it the true sort of uh, power emerging here? Who knows? But it's very, very, very clear to me that uh, new players like Tribe and so on definitely are squeezing
1: the old players. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting to see, I think we forget really quickly that big banks have been through this cycle you know like yep. success and therefore investment potential has led to people doing M&As for the last what 50 to 100 years mm-hmm. and this is actually what's led to the bank big banks actually being in a situation where they've got all of that you know multi monolithic architecture that actually sits in the back office which is really hard to say after a bottle of red wine. You know, like, <laughs>
0: multi-monolithic architecture um, know, after I, a bottle of red wine. Somebody get this man a drink. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I think I probably need a sticker or some description <laughs> for that. But um, but so being in that situation where actually they can do those things, I mean, so long as they really learn from the past generations on this, where essentially if it's like, I, I'm not sure, I, I, I see this more as a... The twenty-one point five billion is based on valuation of probably contracted revenue. This isn't about necessarily the potential of the organisation. This is probably revenue that you could eke out based on where you're, where you are. Yeah. And fundamentally, I think there are you know real you know we are at a significant sort of inflection point when it comes to the technology at that level. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how players like Tsis would have managed on their own and maybe this is their this is their opportunity to kind of get out of the game before the game gets really really difficult interesting times
0: um there was an interesting slide that i've pulled up here that came out with the investor deck that sort of uh, does have like global payments has this thing in omnichannel sys has that in omnichannel you put the two together ah so i, I take your point david it th- like there's a big bit of hype and story here about well, Look at all of these complementary bits of the puzzle, but no, it's it's somebody's gone and done the maths and gone and done the, the the brutal hard work.
1: I mean, you know how I feel about when everybody uses the word omnichannel. Yes, it's made up. It's not a real thing. Omnichannel
0: though. is not real. People. righty, time for the next story. Wow, uh, this story as well. Uh, Revolut leads fintechs in complaints to the ombudsman. So the, this story comes from both the Financial Times and This Is Money. Uh, Revolut is the most complained about small online bank. Uh, the bank, which has uh, 2 million customers, and had 171 claims made against it between 2015 and 2018, according to data from the FT through a Freedom of Information request. That compared to just 82 complaints about Monzo, its rival, um, the Despite receiving more complaints than Monzo, Revolut received far less complaints than traditional banks such as Barclays and Lloyds, which got more than 100,000 complaints in the same time period. Um, although the banks say things like, uh, having been operational for longer than our competitors and with a more diverse and innovative product offering, would expect uh, to experience some complaints. <laughs> um so in 2019 alone, uh, Revolut. of course, there's some context here. Uh, they've experienced scrutiny from the UK's Financial Conduct Authority and the Advertising Standards Authority and the Lithuanian Parliament. Um, but my goodness, that's one complaint per nearly 12,000 people. Is is that this bad? And it's interesting that uh, the headline is Revolut is the most complained about small bank, not the headline is big banks have really complained about.
1: I'll be honest with you, I think this is, like interesting headline writing, but I actually think they're making a lot out of very little. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're in a situation where I think it's become reasonably fashionable to like try and beat up Revolut to a certain degree. Yeah, And given the fact that Monzo only does a current account, but Revolut does, you know, stocks and trade stuff that you can buy all sorts of weird and wonderful cryptocurrency out there. You can do uh, international things. You can do all sorts of different stuff that Monzo doesn't do. They've got an expenses card for business. They've got all sorts. Yeah, I would expect, you know, they have a premium account. They have like, so they, they have a bigger customer. Customer base, they have more different products that they do. They're in more countries. And I sort of don't. I'm not really surprised. You know, it, it's um, it's a weird one. I think there really does seem to be a um, a real bad kind of um, swell of like ill feeling towards.
0: Somebody, yeah, it feels like somebody's had to go, go get these brands.
2: Well, I think uh, so. I mean, Revolut have had a few headlines in the last few months, and what was it? Oscar Wilde said, well, "The only thing worse than being." Uh, Talked about is not being talked about, mm-hmm. so um, and the and so I think I would agree with you, David. I think there's a bit of it's a bit of a a, a sport at the moment to to kind of give Revolut uh, a bit more scrutiny, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think though what it shines a light on, and, and so clearly people making complaints is one thing, but I think we see an increasing um, prevalence of businesses actually publishing their net promoter scores. Mm-hmm. So actually, you're always going to have detractors. There's yeah. always going to be somebody, either your product's not right for, mm-hmm. or they got you on a bad day, or, or whatever. You can't satisfy 100% of the marketplace. And so I wonder if this scrutiny, because those guys are under that regulatory kind of overwatch, it will push more businesses, such as Monzo, Revolut, and the bigger banks, to start publishing their net promoter scores that's all all that counts at the end of the day if you've got a net promoter score of 60 or 65 and you're you're still going to have some people that are disappointed but actually way 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 more um are really happy with your product and so it's kind of only half the story
1: 65 i know a lot of banks would be very happy with that kill for that right (laughs) i know some people have got negative still so it's uh and and actually it's it's a uh, again uh, particularly like you say from an nps perspective being in a a situation of such flux, such change. NPS um, is such a hard thing. I remember when I was back at Lloyd's Banking Group, people just don't like change. You know, an NPS actually gives you like a real painful indication of actually how little really people care about banking. And actually, you start mucking with where that transfer button is, and your NPS score drops by twenty for no apparent reason, even if it's better for you. Mm-hmm. It just becomes it becomes a really hard thing. But I guess back on this, it's like well. I mean, the fact that Monzo and Starling and Revolut and all these guys have actually got uh, enough customers now in this space that there are uh, real significant people kind of actually engaging them, I think is, you know, this is a good thing. This is FinTech growing up. Yeah, actually,
4: uh, if you do the math very quickly. So uh, the uh, report says also that uh, uh, Revolut had 2 million customers at the time. And uh, I think Monzo had about a million. So if you do the division, you will get to exactly the same number pretty much as Monzo. So mm. it's, it's not that different, actually. Uh, Moniz, for example, I did quick math, had 14 complaints in 2018. We had 750,000 users. Wow. So, so I think it's a little bit less. But So one complaint per 52,000 customers. Just saying.
1: All right, uh, All right you in, show off.
4: But would be, but would be fantastic to see also what these complaints are actually about. Is sure. it is it sort of a, is it customer support? Is it about fraud or mm-hmm. something else? We don't have the data, but it mm. would be fascinating to see
1: that. Well, no, they don't say how many of them were actually resolved as well, because like, I don't mind if somebody, to your point, Gary, if somebody cocks up for whatever reason, you know, there's there's been very public issues either from a technological perspective or otherwise with Revolut and Monzo, but actually most of them have, have Managed that quite effectively in terms of the level of transparency that they give around it. So, you know, I'd I'd probably guess that a lot of these have been resolved in one way or another, which probably isn't the case when you look at the 100,000 complaints that somebody like Barclays or Lloyds have got. Well, and,
0: and that I like that metric of complaints per million customers. Uh, is, is is that's a fairer metric? And so I like where you're going with that, Norris. But also complaints per million customers that were then resolved satisfactorily to to all parties involved, and actually a dashboard around that and even net promoter score and some transparency would be lovely there's a lot of uh, I I imagine execs and, and people in the incumbents that would be scared of doing that but actually if your numbers are bad and you did that and then came out and committed to try and do everything in your power to change that and here's the steps we're taking I actually think that would build confidence and it's a scary thing to do to put yourself out there and say like this is hard and we know well behind those but actually we really admire what they're doing and we want to do it I actually think that would A build trust and B it would actually build brand advocacy which in turn actually ups your net promoter score. so it sounds counterintuitive but it could work
2: yeah and I think it is definitely a uh Another case of um, Revolut being in the spotlight. This is their year for um, for a bit more scrutiny than, than they would otherwise get. And, and, and maybe also that, that as those guys really scale to, to the size of large established banks, everybody likes having a go at large established banks. So I mean, maybe it's just a rite of passage thing, Everybody yeah. has
1: a pop at the winner,
2: don't they? Yeah.
0: You, know, you, you know you've you you know succeeded when uh, people start complaining about you. I, I mean,
1: I always live by that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: the story of your life, isn't it? It is. <laughs> All right, next story is uh, actually about NatWest being the most complained about bank as we were talking about uh, the big banks. Um, So uh, the story comes from the BBC and they're the most complained about bank when it comes to handling fraud claims, a BBC probe has revealed. I quite like it when... uh people use the word probe I, I imagine like probe um, but that's just me all right the financial ombudsman has seen a rising complaints about NatWest with it becoming the most complained about a bank for fraud this year in addition in the last six months BBC Watchdog Live has had nearly twice as many complaints about how NatWest handles its fraud cases compared to rivals I really want to probe their fraud department now and see what's going on there um, so it's recently increased uh, the warnings it's issued to customers making transactions on the app online and it's updated its app and Increased alerts to customers, uh, and they've started to invest heavily in security features. So there's some interesting counterpoints there coming out of uh, NatWest. Fraud stuff's hard, I guess. I mean, started investing in fraud stuff? <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's what I was thinking I was thinking also as Santander who said they're starting is the, they're the ones who said they're starting to ping people when there might be uh, an alert or a dodgy situation
0: yeah I think it's increasing the warnings the right, right. it's not starting to that was my bad reading um, but but I guess there's um, there's a voluntary code designed to stop victims of fraud losing money hmm. that came into effect this week that's some useful context here which is generally good right there's been a whole lot of issues around uh, uh, kind of fraud uh, where somebody's kind of convinced into moving their own money inside of their own bank account and they're tricked into it.
1: So, so I'm, I'm going to back this up with no fact. So strap yourself in, in here, guys. But um, I imagine this is a simple case of rebranding. Mm. Uh, I reckon if you went back maybe 24 months, that RBS would be the most complained about brand. Mm-hmm. And actually what's happened is RBS have rebranded itself to NetWest and now NetWest is the most complained about brand because fundamentally what's happened is they've rebranded the thing that they're doing but maybe not changed the backend processes or the capability that's actually been exposed out to, to consumers. So, I, I mean, I'll go back this up with some facts offline, but um, but that's probably what I reckon happened here. Mm.
0: And also this uh, this new voluntary code says that payment providers, of course primarily banks, that are signed up to the voluntary code, have have a new set of criteria to judge whether the customer should get the money back. Previously, banks only tended to reimburse people if there was an obvious fault in the way um, the payment was handled by the bank. And what we'll define obvious fault. Um, some £354 million pounds was lost in this type of fraud to individuals and businesses last year, but only £83 million was refunded.
1: I, I feel quite... Uh, on the bank side in some of these ones, not wanting to flip-flop too much around on this one, but um, like I don't know if you see, but um, a lot of these fraud cases are where people are willingly giving uh, account details, sort codes away to people and doing things. But they've been tricked into it, though. Um.
0: Somebody's called them and said, uh, "Hey, where the you know you're overdue on your uh, gas bill, and if you don't pay now, the bailiffs will be coming around to your house. Can you give me your account
1: details?" Completely. But if like I tricked you into giving me your laptop, Razor ain't going to give you a new one, are they? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I honestly think there's a like banks have actually had it pretty hard when you look at things like um, liability from an open banking perspective in terms of where you know real liability sits with those things, and I think increasingly it's being seen that it's bank's problem to kind of deal with when. Customers have actually probably just been stupid in some instances, really. So, um, and, I, and I think there's got to be a there's got to be quite a hard line there between. I mean, they can't just, you know, uh, un, unlimited liability kind of fix these problems for people without there being some firmer place to to sort of say say no, really. Because I don't know if you saw, did you see the BBC thing where? random celebr you know b list celebrity went into NatWest lobby made a fuss up and therefore some lady got 11 grand back and i'm like i mean if every time you want to get money back for fraud you just phone the bbc like it just it sets the wrong precedent for actually whether a claim is valid or a claim is i mean just people being dumb
4: and all this is very difficult to prove also right i mean if it's there's normal fraud then the person hasn't been actually pushing the button, so it says you can uh, refund it real time but uh, you know app fraud how do you know if a yeah. customer is not actually you know telling you something else so it's it's, it's tricky one it requires some time you know you have to have experts on board who are actually looking into it and, and it becomes very expensive to investigate exactly.
0: and actually it's probably you've got this balance of um, do I spend the money investigating it or do I just reimburse and and so there's an interesting user experience point here about all of these additional alerts in order to help people are actually annoying people so is that the net benefit that we wanted to do was end up annoying customers because it looks like the you know this voluntary code has forced people into making customers more aware, but actually, I think there's a, there's a challenge in the execution path here of how you're making people aware. Mm. Um, maybe just lots and lots of alerts are just annoying.
3: As somebody who's experienced fraud five times in the last year, she says,
1: "Wow, you're going on the wrong websites, aren't you?" <laughs>
3: I've been hacked all over the place you start to question whether or not the text message is really from the bank that's telling you that there's a potential for fraud, mm-hmm. first of all. So then you don't know what to do, and you think, should I do it, I shouldn't do it, is this another scam, and who am I going to call to find out if it's another scam mm-hmm. as well? And I have to declare that I have an advisory interest in a company called Calgera, which is a dis- set up and designed to tell you when there's an alert. Mostly at people with dementia and vulnerabilities, but for this purpose, that is telling you there's an irregular uh, spending pattern in your account so I think that and I agree with you that is is it cheaper to to pay people than it is to investigate but there are some things that are coming onto the market to help Mm.
0: and I think generally the issue around SMS being uh, with Mm. with phone number porting right so it's actually really easy to Mm. uh, impersonate somebody port their phone number to another number and then get the SMS sent to that new phone Um, so there's a whole bunch of tools that the fraudsters have in their arsenal
1: that is a really interesting point is people uh, it doesn't take too much scaremongering for people to then be in a situation where all of the different communication channels become voided you know I had one from um, our bank that we bank with with 11FS on Thursday last week saying uh, irregular payments and I was like uh, like what do I do now because do I trust this weird like automated phone thing or do I log on to internet banking or like yeah. so um, thankfully I just oust Ryan so that,
2: <laughs>
1: that seemed to solve it.
0: It's amazing what you can do. Generally a lesson for life. I know. I mean, man. Tank does everything. It really does. Bless our CEO. World. All right. Next story. Uh, Plaid, uh, or played if, if you want to say it with the British accent, uh, comes to the UK. A story comes from Quartz, and the Silicon Valley FinTech is looking to supercharge access for financial data for the UK startups. And of course, this was covered by the Financial Times. It was covered by Finextra. So this was pretty big news this week. And of course, um, Plaid launching in the UK as of, I believe it was sort of uh, last week as you listen to this, is connected to eight of Britain's largest banks and neobanks, uh, which says will give the UK fintech businesses instant access to 70% of personal current accounts across the country. Um, Emma, a money management app, has already plugged into the system, uh, and the company's opened an office in the UK, plans to hire 25 people. And of course, uh, for fintech in the UK, this is an incredible boom, says Plaid co-founder Zach Perret. Um, and it's the market we always wanted to be in. Uh, access to data is, isn't, of course, their sole aim. Uh, and what it's focused on really is going to be the analytics and the insights that kind of sit around that. So, wow. Um, Plaid's ambition for the UK. Uh, pretty interesting timing. They've done well. They're valued over $2 billion in the US. Uh, but the UK's quite a different market to the US, a much more consolidated banking market. But there's the regulator-driven APIs. Where do we, where do we stand on this one? I think it's uh, really welcome to the uh, consumers and also the
4: industry, uh, because uh, the world is definitely moving in, in that direction. And for example, when we look at uh, Moniz, which is very much uh, relying on, on customer data and analytics, I mean, integration with Plate would be, would be incredible. And, um, you know, the fact also that, um, you know, seven, seven or eight banks in the UK have already integrated, it uh, shows uh, the strength of the proposition. And if you look at PSD2 and open banking, I mean, this is right, the UK and Europe, and how do you connect the rest of the world? So it looks like Playde is uh, doing uh, doing
1: a good job there. Mm. I guess, you know, in the UK, we've had TrueLayer and Bud and these guys kind of doing this stuff already. So it's, I mean, it's interesting to see somebody come into the market and make such a splash so quickly. Mm-hmm. But I guess when they've got the ability to come in, probably with a little bit more grown-up approach to actually partnerships and, and management, that side of things, then, you know, good luck to them coming in. Do
3: you uh, think, sorry. The UK consumer, I think, is really much more open to the uptake as well, potentially, than the US is. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, as we're moving into open open banking, obviously, um, uh, you could argue that why do you need an aggregator anymore and the the role that aggregators played prior to standardisation of of, of data exchanging uh, was to be that middleware, be the kind of, like, the connectors. But but I think, actually, um, almost counterintuitively, with open banking coming in, I think there's going to be an explosion of demand for connections and and data sharing and apps connected to different banks and financial services providers and there will be more of them uh, and actually rather than building point to point connections even with APIs it st- still takes time still mm. you've got to spin up discrete projects for every connection and actually plugging into one black box that does that I think has value yeah. so clearly they see that as an opportunity. I, I think they,
1: the interesting thing with these guys is they set themselves up very much in a similar model to Stripe did in terms of they are they're all about just get the quickest easiest integration this is how the you know this is the simplest way to make these things happen the website is fundamentally geared towards engineers not to you know end uh, end consumers which you know might be the differentiation if you're looking for just making something happen really quickly bingo uh
0: this is they've understood who the ultimate audience for this is going to be it's the builders it's the engineers it's the doers and i think that uh that model has a, a low friction first step that you can take. If you can be getting it working against your own bank account in 60 seconds, then the traction that gets with an engineer and development team to want to keep using that thing. Uh, you see this a lot with um, with SaaS um, platforms where you know, somebody on their expenses card buys the thing and then that thing ends up inside the organization all over the place and then the developers are talking about it and then eventually it, it sort of becomes the thing. Um, it's a really nice beach head in. Well, um, but also from a branding perception standpoint Mm. they've got they've got quite a lot of momentum which i think gets them attention which and and those two things combined could be really interesting
1: well it's it's the variety of that as well like engineers talk together it's like what you do with zero right you know accountants talk to one another so working with accountants to do these things means actually zero spread like wildfire rather than you know consumer by consumer if that makes sense
2: yeah definitely and i think I think uh, I guess they have to be careful they don't become some kind of prototyping tool where you can spin up a new product or a new connection on plaid really really quickly mm. and then prove that it works or doesn't work and then you go and build strategy directly. solution yeah, yeah <laughs> you know what I mean so uh, it would be interesting to see, and of course they won't be the only people doing it either.
0: I guess you could say the same about Stripe, though. Would Stripe be a prototyping tool, or is it actually something that's just so easy to work with and use and so cleanly documented um, that developers just default to it and it gets deeply integrated at almost no friction? If you're the easiest thing to use, then you, you, one could argue you get used the most.
2: I'm just grateful that, um, that, that they're, they're, not, they're not aspiring to be the Uber of... Uh, Banking, financial services, that metaphor seems to have gone by the way. <laughs> Thank goodness.
0: Um, and also, um, there were a lot of US banks that were really sceptical when Plaid launched at first, um, citing you know, the, typical banks, oh, uh, it's going to be not secure. It's always the first thing banks say when they don't like something, that will not be secure, it cannot be secure. Um, But actually, Plaid since raised money from Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. So actually, the opposite is true. Plaid would argue that uh, you could have a situation in which people are coming through to you. you It's sort of like we saw with the Open Banking Implementation Entity. People are coming to you direct, and you probably don't want that. Mm. You want this layer in which that's being more secured. And you've got one sort of point that you can control and manage rather than 1,000, 2,000, 3,000.
1: It's amazing how... um when they're then successful That all those people show up really quickly, isn't it? Yeah. How about that? (laughs) Um, uh,
3: Some of the UK banks as well are probably grateful for the fact that they've been bashed around about open banking for a while, so it's nice to have a good news story.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So our fintech insider USA episode two, um, Sam Moore spoke to Lowell Putnam, who is the head of partnerships at Plaid, and of course he was formerly CEO of uh, and founder of Quovo uh, that were acquired by Plaid earlier this year. So give that a listen. Plaid talk about their business model, how it works, and how they see it protecting customers banks so that's in the uh, fintech insider stream right now Alrighty, next story comes from cnbc Uh, a goldman sachs rival apparently pulled out of the apple card deal on fears
1: it may be a money loser david i'm just going to throw straight to you on this Uh, i mean this definitely sounds like sour grapes to me doesn't it here it's like hey that thing that looks like it's going to be really successful that everybody wants one of yeah, we could have had that really if we wanted to you know it just city seemed group, it does it? seem very very odd to me but and and why even come out and say it it just seems unnecessary doesn't it so um, yeah I don't know sour grapes to me uh, the this line here as well that um, apparently somebody from city um,
0: messaged somebody at uh, Goldman saying dude if that portfolio ever makes money I'm buying you a beer um, within the industry the deals apparently widely perceived as one that's risky for the bank to take on. Um, but of course, Apple cards definitely considered consumer friendly, no fees of any kind, software that encourages you to avoid debt, pay it down quickly, potentially lower interest rates. Well,
1: well, and Goldman aren't coming in to play the same game that other people are doing in terms of how credit cards are profitable. Actually, they're not in that market. They can come in, they can destroy the, the revenue model, they can create a new one because it's new money to them. You know, they've it's, got it's the bottom side and they yeah. don't have to make the existing technology stacks
0: and overheads that the banks had historically. Yeah. They don't have to make those economics work. They're playing with different economics. Completely. So bankers that have only seen their own internal economics will look at that and go, Well, I wouldn't make money if I priced it like that. There's no way you can make money. And yeah, it's like I the mean, game's different.
1: Two hundred and fifty dollars to run an account when those guys are doing it for fractions of that, then completely your economics are completely different, right?
4: Plus, there is no customer acquisition cost. You already got customers. You got products to sell. You, you know, one percent giveaway. Uh, I mean, there is two percent uh, interchange, right? In, in the US, in the in, in Europe, it doesn't exist. But in the US, it's quite sweet. So I don't I don't see massive losses here at all. And let's not forget about interest rates as well. So credit is cheap, er, but it's not free. It's actually quite juicy if you look uh, small
1: print. And, a, and come on, who doesn't want one of those titanium cards? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> even our. Um, I'm not an
2: Apple fan. <laughs> well, do you know what? I, when I, they announced it and and, and I saw this card's coming along and I, I've been on Apple Pay for the last like two years to the point where I resent the fact that I have to like type in my pin number. I'm forgetting what my pin number is for certain <laughs> cards because you become so accustomed to mm-hmm. just like swiping your your phone. Uh, and then when they announced the Apple card and it's, like, oh, no, it's got to be a physical thing and it's made it up of titanium and it's pretty cool but it also feels like 1995 once it's kind of business model back. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you're going back to, not yeah. plastic, but back titanium plastic. Um, and, and so I wonder that clearly, obviously, there's the credit card account dimension to it. But obviously, Apple already have hundreds of millions of credit cards on their systems, and they'd quite like if it was their credit card that people were paying for Apple Music on and not, mm-hmm. not, not MasterCard from I, someone else. I think they put out just shy of a billion. It's insane, insane. Um, but I also wonder I, the fact that they're, they're they're making a big thing of the physicality of the card, and it doesn't have like your number on it or anything, and and that's kind of cool. But I wonder if there's also so I, I I I use Apple Pay, but I imagine I'm in the minority still, and people still need to be weaned onto using something like the Apple Card. Depends and Will eventually get rid of the titanium. Well,
1: and like US market, right? You know, like.
2: Can't the, the, still a big the New York thing. subway um,
0: will have will support Apple Pay, I think, as of this week or next week. Um, so that's coming soon. I think that change and inflection point is starting to come to the US. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting about Apple is its users love the physical device. Like, people fall in love with the the how it looks and how it feels. And so it doesn't surprise me that Apple, an aspirational brand, has tried to do something aspirational and that's about status, which credit cards sort of always had that. You know, you always had the Amex Gold card, the Platinum card. There's always this status section of the market. That, but with different economics, I think is quite an interesting place to be. Just
1: give me 3% off some maluminium stuff, and I'm in. Okay. <laughs> the rest of it is detail. I'm in. I, I
3: think, think about- you're right in the results of the research was that if you're an Apple user, 49% of them would said that they would use it to pay if there was uh, an Apple credit card, as it were, and there was something physical there. So I think it, it, it does speak to the Apple user. And you're right, the uptake. I think last year in the, the payments race, for Money 2020, when someone in our team was trying to do it with an apple device and with the watch she couldn't get that thing to work in hardly any locations because in the mid, parts of the, the US they weren't taking it up and I could put it to the point about the US it's a bit slower do you know what it's a lot better though
1: like having um, having spent some time there last week and only been there maybe 4 months before that um, the notable uh, noticeable yeah. difference between those 4 months is, is stark. it's start so, it's coming as so, and it? and like you say with payments coming on the what do they call it not the underground Subway, subway, the subway. Uh, like it is changing, like week in week That was adorably British, wasn't it? Sorry, <laughs> the Bronx yeah.
3: is up and the battery is down. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, mean,
1: I mean, if you think you think that's adorably British, like imagine me in a week in New York. Type <laughs> thing. I, it was a bowler hat and like an umbrella on my arm. I was like literally out of Mary Poppins. It was amazing. <laughs> so we'll come
0: back to that idea later. Now, this is going to be an interesting one. Whenever bankers start poo-pooing something, it's a sign it's starting to succeed. So um, you know, like, take that as a signal uh, if, if you're watching for, is this thing going to be a success? These things, I think Gary's point's a good one, though. These, these things always take a lot longer than maybe the, the people who are supporting it suggest it might. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not coming. Uh, they're absolutely coming for you. All righty. Um, that's it for now. We'll be back very, very shortly.
3: This deal sets a that apart. this
0: economy okay, is... We need to, to get right. down to
3: business.
0: Yeah.
2: Fantasy,
0: to uh, the pressure is beginning. Business investment. jobs. On, on the investment. In on The more you
2: hear about Brexit, the less clear it all becomes. When everyone else is shouting. Listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit FT.com. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision, to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with FinAstra.
0: Welcome back to FinTech Insider from 11FS. Uh, we're hiring, David. We need a bigger boat. Um, check out 11fs.com forward slash careers to find your dream job. Um, we've got roles in consulting, product design, tech, research, uh, foundry. Like We do a lot of stuff, David, and we got uh, we got a lot of vacancies.
1: I mean, we do a lot of stuff, don't we? We really do.
0: <laughs> so uh, check out 11fs.com forward slash careers now, and let's get on with the show. Uh, the next story comes from CNBC, um, and this is about Robin Hood. On track for at least a $7 billion valuation after an, with an upcoming funding round. Uh, the quote popular millennial trading platform, don't know what one of those is, um, is in the process of a late-stage funding round that valued the company at more than 7000000000 billion. Um, They've committed more than two, uh, apparently the company's committed more than $200 but the total could end up being higher since the round hasn't closed yet. Uh, And the company's moving further into traditional finance and has submitted an application to the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, or the OCC, for a national bank charter. Uh, So they're they're planning to become a full bank, and they're looking to get into that full suite of projects but they started very much with that sort of um, execution-only, mobile-only investments platform. Good beachhead seems to be growing. People seem to like it.
1: Yeah, you know, 7 billion valuation. That's pretty impressive. I think calling themselves a millennial trading platform sounds slightly like sort of modern digital slavery type vibe, which is a bit weird. So they probably want to work out where the grammar goes. I I think
0: that's CNBC that called them that. Fine.
1: Okay. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is an organization that's come in. They've done incredibly well with the beachhead that they've got. And this is them basically diversifying around actually how do they start doing something different?
0: Mm, 4 million users in the summer to more than 6 million users by the end of 2018, that's proper hyper growth as well. I mean, it, are the traditional banks, especially the different, the traditional sort of wealth managers in trouble here? People moving towards exo platforms? Is this E-Trade that's in trouble? Like, who, who's going to hurt?
1: I mean, only if they don't do something. Like, yeah. this is the argument that we always kind of make about uh, big banking organizations is it's only if they choose to do nothing that they're really in peril. Um, you know, Robinhood have been... I guess, reasonably famed for having some regulatory problems, slightly underestimating what it is to sort of go into markets. And they've had a reasonably sort of high-profile retractment of a product, didn't they? Was mm-hmm. it a savings product or something along those lines? turned out they didn't actually talk to the regulator before they launched it, which, I mean, a bit weird, maybe naive, some would say.
0: And there's also some... Uh, some- speculation and some uh, negative press around them sort of selling the data about their con- customers' trades so that um, the, the Flash Boys could front run all the trades. Um, the Flash Boys? Yeah, so the hedge funds and, 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 and any of the professional traders on the buy side firms they can sort of see the trade coming, nip in there before you and up your price right. that you as the retail customer have. They make money on selling
1: that data and you, you're not the wiser. Right. I mean, it sounded like some sort of Male stripper group. That's oh. what I was going. It was like Magic Mike esque, whereas uh, okay, where I was that, kind that of That would have
0: been a much better mental image. Like this is a, <laughs> Magic Mike trading floor. This is.
1: Uh... I mean, I think we've got a name
0: for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's an episode title. Uh, any thoughts on this one? So, so to me
4: a uh, f- full suite of financial products uh, I'm just wondering being uh, you know full suite of financial product provider myself i I, I know <laughs> the it can be pretty tricky so if you if you have something that works which is uh, not a simple product but it's still w- basically one thing that works, uh, going to full suite I mean uh, there has been previously attempts and some failures some successes so uh, it's not guaranteed that it's going to fly right no. uh, so maybe maybe the high valuation is tied to that ambition. Um,
1: I think it must be for $7 billion. It because mu- it's definitely not on the revenue of what they're doing now. So it must be – and actually we're seeing this a lot, aren't we, with – Crazy valuations being given to people who maybe the revenue isn't, you know, the multipliers that are being made are, are just kind of off the charts, aren't they? So, but like you say, it's its its not just whether this could happen, it's the complexity of going into all of these different product areas, isn't it?
4: And, and the market, I mean, if you go outside the uh, investment in stocks and so on, the market is actually pretty saturated. In the US alone, you've got lots of uh, neo banks, digital banks popping up here and there, you know, come to Europe is, uh, you know,
0: there is uh, lots of people welcoming you here or not. Of course in the UK you've got free trade um, that have, have begun to really gain some momentum in this space with, with an interesting community around. them. The Exo the mobile only sort of stock platform appears to be a type of fintech play that seems to be really, really hot right now.
2: For me there's kind of echoes of 20 years ago here. You, know, you see you have like 20 years ago you had a couple of really great new technology breakout categories, so search and uh, e-commerce and Amazon and Google and Yahoo, and then all the big conventional businesses thought we, we have we're missing out on this. And so the the global payments thing we talked about earlier. And and when I when I hear something as generic as a full suite of financial services to to service their needs, it's like really we're we now in that point where it's become so vanilla, that, and everybody's piling in.
0: Everybody's and I, everything to everyone, and,
2: and and it isn't and it isn't really crisp. And you see all these new startups and these new digital challenger banks coming. And if you're one of these established players, and you think, what do we do? Can we capitalise on this? And do we need to do something to survive? And I wonder if there's a bit of a bubble beginning to happen around fintech and financial services these valuations, valuations. are not small are they no, no. And, and, and so the valuations are high and the, kind of, and, and the pitches are pretty generic so that, that kind of brings alarm bells for me yeah
3: but also it also feels to me like they're just sort of feeling out of market. You know what I mean? Not, not everybody will survive. And I agree with you. When it's when it starts to get vanilla, then what's the point of doing it? And a national charter with the OCC is not like a given.
0: Yeah. Well, we've seen a lot of people apply and nobody seems to have been granted one yet.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it feels like a bit of uh, prod, prodding, probing, shaking all over again.
0: Yeah. Well, and also it, it's around the time that their round hasn't quite closed yet they've got this much committed here's our vision by the way did you know the round's open by the way we've got this much committed by the way the round's open sort of press oh (laughs) sceptical no speaking of uh People raising wealth. Simple uh, have raised around a hundred million dollars, uh, led by uh, German giant Allianz. Uh, so since launching in 2014, Wealth Simple has established itself as a leading robo advisor in Canada and also entered the U.S. and U.K. markets. And they've got 4.5 billion uh, assets under management for more than 150,000 clients. So that's not nothing. Um, and the company uh, offers a managed portfolio service as well as a no commission trading app and promise to democratize wealth, which I think is quite a nice. Term. Um, the latest funding will be used to invest in new product offerings. Um, democratization of wealth is popular with investors as well as consumers. Really interesting messaging there. Um, but robot advice, very different models, seem to be all the rage five years ago. Um, hearing a lot less about it now. But what, there are folks, you know, quietly in the background plugging away at this. How do we feel this? You know, these guys are screwed now. Robin Hood's the right.
1: Um, I think. Look, the markets. Very, very large, particularly over in the uh, you know the US. So actually, and and actually, like the aiming of democratization of of any of those business lines is actually what this should be. You know, digital really hasn't led to that positioning where you're doing that. You know, you're Jason always says with with Monzo, it's all about carrying around the uh, the the sort of private banker in your pocket, uh, which is kind of what we did with with Metal as well. It's yeah. about carrying a CFO around in your pocket, um, and that's actually really the promise of what digital could bring to you, which is you know more of a one-to-one engagement a one-to-one relationship now digitized banking is definitely not there and it's not delivered it mm-hmm. but you know actually bringing banking to people who haven't had banking before this is really what the promise is right
4: yeah absolutely um i'm thinking uh, you know if i if i look back at robin hood and how much money there actually is i mean how much money are they making per customer or what's the revenue they're like i mean i'm looking at this uh, wealth simple uh, uh, there seems to be more money uh,
1: there just up from the surface? 4.5 billion for 150,000 clients. My maths in my brain is breaking my brain. But Somebody that's actually the, the management, not average <laughs>
0: revenue per user, right? So the um, the um game I think Robin Hood are playing is quite a different one. They're paying, a, you're getting a monthly subscription of around, I think um $10 or 7 or $8 per user. Uh, so that's monthly. So you annualize that and then you multiply it by the number of users they've got versus AUM and basis points on that AUM. But so you net out to a similar place.
1: But, but, but purely in terms of the average of assets under management, that would that's significant, isn't it? You know, the, oh, you know, that's a fintech playing into the really high net worth area rather than actually, you know, sort of lower down. So the the margins that they can make at that space, because they're probably making a lot, well, as long as the returns are being significant, then they can make a lot of money. Yeah, the the AUM thing really starts to kick in once you, uh, it snowballs,
0: you know, 20, 30, 40 years on as these people get older and their assets grow. Um, so robos could be around for quite some time. And you know, it's not how big are they now, it's how big are they in 10 years. And, uh, what happens to intergenerational wealth when people who are currently with their existing bank or their existing wealth manager or uh, their you know 401k or their, their pension where does where does that go does that go into sort of the same place and you get the younger generation or does that shift and is there a big issue there?
1: I, I think the I think the whole thing around like the branding around Robo seems weird to me like mm. the idea that it's a Robo advice thing I, I like anybody who brands the thing if well simple branded it like a Robo advice people wouldn't get into it no. you know there's always been algorithms and computers involved in these things. It's just whether they've been like a a human interface kind of guiding to, to the thing that the computer told you to do anyway. So, you know, now we're just going direct to source. Seems relatively straightforward Sim- to me. Simple, although so long as it's not going direct to source and making you do
0: what the people at the branch used to do or the people at the bank used to do, it's like designing the experience yeah. for you rather than making you be the staff at the bank.
1: Did you just say the wealth simple thing seems simple? This is starting to feel like an advert. We should move on.
0: Yeah, all right. <laughs> um the next story uh, is about a French startup bank aimed towards teenagers, and they've raised 3.1 million euros. So it's called PixPay, um, and they are led by uh, the funding round, was led by uh, Global Founders Capital, founded by a group of parents uh, several months ago. PixPay will offer children between the ages of 10 and 18 a mobile bank account, uh, a contactless payment card, and the option to use Apple Pay and Google Pay. An app will uh, help with spending money and saving management, providing real time purchase notifications, an analysis of where money goes along with uh, offers from popular brands. Meanwhile, parents will be able to set spending limits, block purchases from some providers, and offer financial incentives for carrying out tasks such as household chores. Seems to be Flavor of the Week. Everybody seems to be out in one of these, but haven't really seen the teenage ones um, other than maybe the, I think, was it... It um, was Osper and, Osper, and Go Henry. Osper and, and, Go and Go in, Henry have yeah. done pretty well, but other than that, you've not seen... Oh, there was Digi um, Digi Piggy from um, from one of the uh, Scandinavian banks. I guess that had a really good name. I've used both uh,
4: Osprey and GoHenry, and uh, I think Osprey had uh, g- gave a uh, child a little bit more flexibility.
0: It was the and control the, thing.
4: Yeah, the control. GoHenry was more controlling, I think, mm-hmm. uh, if, if I remember correctly. But but this one seems to be more giving cust- uh, customer or, or a child more control here, definitely. And uh, seem in terms of features, also seems to be going beyond what uh, the British um, uh, competitors are providing. You know, ability to set spending limits, uh, block purchases, um, you know, spending and saving management and all that. So definitely
2: seems like a good try. I, I think it re- really, cl- two things, really clever that they're obviously leading with this founded by a group of parents thing, because what that says to parents is, oh, we, we should trust this. Mm, yeah. You know, like I'm a parent. Oh, this is founded by parents. This must be good then. This is wholesome. It's not some kind of uh, big. Big scary bank, but then I'm I'm struggling with the fact that when the teenagers ever listen to their parents, <laughs> and and our are, are parents actually the best people to be architecting our banking experience for teenagers. Which is your point here about
0: control, right? So that Norris makes the point here that uh, if you can convince the teenager that they're actually in control of their money and this is more freedom, then it's a good thing. If it's aha, this is a way for us to secretly spy on you. Lesser. But but I've got a
4: seven-year-old and ten-year-old, and these they love uh, uh, the British uh, product that we currently use, and they are pretty good little spenders, I must say. Yeah. And and you know all the pocket money goes straight there, and they spend it online. They are yeah. pretty pretty clever. I mean, seven-year-old already is purchasing stuff on Fortnite, and uh, you know. Mm-mm. Got to get those skins, right? Got to get those
1: skins. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's great
3: to start financial education at any age. And it'd be interesting to see who they choose as their spokesperson. It would be a musician or mm. somebody else who's a celebrity. Maybe that takes it away from the parent thing. And oh, such a cynic you are, Gary.
1: Yeah. Takes
3: it away from the parent control and makes it a bit more cool.
1: So, so I, I personally, I think this, uh, like, I've got a five-year-old, got a seven-year-old we are almost refusing to pay them pocket money at this stage because it's like it goes into nothingness. Yeah. Like financial education is a huge thing and getting kids to like understand the value of money. I think the problem with anything like this where it's independent is they monetize it in a weird way. So actually what I want to see is a big bank come out, similar to the point that we were making earlier on around unit economics in terms of making these things work. If you can actually start getting a unit cost of creating a service in a big bank and investing in the next generation of retail customers to be your, Mm -hmm. you know, big boy, big girl customers in terms of what you're doing, then you don't have to monetize this. But things like, you know, Osper and GoHenry, actually the charges on them have led many people just to give their kids a, a prepaid account or a Monzo account and, you know, not tell people that's what they're doing so yeah um, it's it's an interesting one I I definitely think we're going to see more and more and more people go for niches and actually creating capability that allows niches but um, I mean both 3.1 million euros is not going to get them very far Uh, but equally I would be way more interested if it's just a big bank doing it. Yeah
0: and and what would a big bank do with 3.1 million euros if they started at how do I integrate this and how do I reuse what I've got or if they started at actually how do I get something into the hands of the customer's Oh, I'm,
1: I mean, a big bank could spend three point one million euros having the meeting about doing the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's so maybe the problem.
0: There's, there is. And if you're interested in this subject, episode 316, uh, we, uh, which was called Customer Infant Structure, um, is uh, is all about that. Um, so we, we dived into it with some fantastic guests, including Rooster Money. Uh, Alrighty, next story um, comes from an extra. And Combank Australia have invested heavily for a tech trust image, or tech for trust image rebuild. Uh, Combank Australia is going to roll out heavily personalized, revamped, version of its mobile banking app using machine learning to analyze 157 billion data points in real time to remind customers of upcoming bills and credit statements. The Australian bank is uh, bidding to repair its image as a trustworthy institution following a damning Royal Commission report into a questionable ethics at the country's biggest institution. The CEO uh, bigged up the mobile app overhaul as a prime example of the use of technology to help customers avoid overdraft fees and the accumulation of interest on their credit card bills. How do we feel
1: about this one? Um. I feel like on this podcast a lot we've referred back to, you know, that Chris Rock sketch about, like, shit people just should be doing. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I mean, like, it just feels like that. I, I think it's 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 um it's great because, you know, they sort of quote in this that they're in a situation where it's going to save, purely on, on the overdraft alerts alone, it's going to save $150 million, um Australian dollars, I guess, over the next 12 months. So that's a huge thing. But it kind of feels like that move towards services and less about products means... I'm not sure this repairs the trust. Yeah. Um, I think this is just almost trying to catch up with where the industry is going, which is you kind of expect people you trust not to kind of fuck you over. There's
0: there's some really interesting challenges now in the Australian market as well with Up, Zinja, uh, 86400 and, and many more that would do this by default and be pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And of course, Australia for a long time has had a really strong community banking uh, sort of industry. So yeah, we we did a thing too, but we're big, is not a great headline.
4: But people care about money and ultimately how much they save, and they have very short memories. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, you 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 messed up. You're doing this, and if it genuinely uh, saves customers money, then they are pretty forgiving, I would say. And 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 memory is really
1: short. I mean, there's you, definitely something in that for sure. That like customers generally are very forgetful if somebody's put something else shiny or beneficial in front of them. We've definitely seen that in the the financial crisis here, haven't we? Yeah, and
4: I, I mean uh, the bank
1: relationship is 17 years in the UK,
4: which is longer than an average marriage, and people are just—they don't want to move to another bank. You know, you can as a bank, you can do whatever with with customers, which we haven't witnessed here. And you know, there are certain banks that have been money laundering, laundering money in God knows where, and you know, massive scandals. People are still with them.
0: Well, so this one in particular, uh, the Royal Commission report, which we actually covered in episode two ninety five of FinTech Insider, included forged documentation, failing to check people's living expenses before loaning money, mis-selling insurance, and among the misconduct charges, a um, standout one from uh, Combank Australia, they admitted financial planners charge fees to clients who were dead. So there, there's some there's some pretty messed up stuff um, in in, this, in here. Um, makes sense then that you would improve the app. But the cynic in me says, were you planning to deliver these features in the app and you're say, using it as an excuse to say sorry, here's a nice thing? Or is this like how much of this is genuine because like delivering features in your app that your app is kind of supposed to do and everybody else is doing is different to changing how you communicate and changing the culture which is which is which is obviously a much harder thing to do
2: I think I must have been uh, overdosing on cynical pills today because I think I agree with you I think um, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to do this stuff in a way if you already earned um, uh, some uh, kind of damage on your reputation from 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 the way that you've been looking after your customers then Frankly, why wouldn't you try and say, "Here's and, and so it's 150 million in fees, but for CBA, 150 million, in, and, and and that's a great. You throw that at the problem, you're throwing money at the problem, yeah. and begin to rehabilitate your image with your customers. And so I think they were going to do it anyway. They may as well try and maximize the story. But but again, that like the 200 machine learning models. Um, now, now the number of machine learning models in an app is, is the measure of like how, how cool, good the app is. How cool you are these days, yeah. It, it, it is weird to
0: me that how you never see the challengers talking about their machine learning algos, but you see the big banks doing it. You never see the challengers talking about AI, but you see the big banks doing it. You never see the challengers sort of tramping up, hey, we did a feature. They talk, the, their communication is much more about how do you save money. Um, their communication is a bit more just pure transparent, like here's the numbers, like come have a look for yourself. Look, here's what's behind the curtain. How different is that? Going back to the point David you made earlier about kind of net promoter score and all of that, there's there's a confidence thing here, which is,
1: you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant. Yeah, I mean, man, that's hard in a big company. Yeah, right. You know, like think about the levels of kind of. Um, processes like me and you've worked at big banks the amount of processes you would have got through to go and talk at a conference never mind send an abusive tweet Mm -hmm. uh like so being in a situation where you have to kind of do all of those different things like no doubt all of the things that they try and do gets watered down so much and at somebody at some point somebody's like hey we're investing a lot in you know uh, uh ai and you know algorithms like throw that into the headline and you know there'll be a Probably thousands of people that'll be winting in the bank reading it, but oh, no doubt, and it, and that's really hard, isn't it? You know, so but maybe this is just part of. You know, marketing in big banks is pretty messed up.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and there's a lot of people in the big banks that are great designers, great engineers, talented people who want to do the right things for the customers, and, and they're absolutely there. But how can that come out and be shown?
2: I think you should pioneer Taylor's Law. Like, the, the, the actual how cool and how connected you are to your customers is inversely proportionate to the number of mentions you make of the technology stack you have behind it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like there you that. Go. Taylor's nice. Law. There go. <laughs> so we've got 600 machine learning models, and then you've got like, no idea. Yeah, what they're doing or well, how many times your CEO has said AI yeah <laughs> I,
1: mean, I mean if nothing else it's going to make an amazing drinking game isn't there it you. really wow there you
0: go money 2020 is coming yeah. uh, <laughs> you thought the red wine today was bad uh, alright and finally this story comes from Creative Block um, but it, it was covered in, in a number of publications and I think initially I saw it on Twitter uh, from um, the scribble bug Harriet who was uh, Um so shout out to, to Harriet and um, NatWest apologises for patronising women by patronising women. Um, If you didn't see this, NatWest has launched a campaign that apologises to women for having patronised them in the past. But but judging by the tone of the campaign, it doesn't look set to change anytime soon. The campaign saw uh, a man dressed up as typical bankers in pinstripe suits and bowler hats handing out letters in copies of Stylist magazine to London commuters. The letters apologise for creating a culture that still in 2019 has made you feel uncomfortable and unwelcome when it comes to talking about money. But one of the oddest things about the campaign is it's backed by Stylist, a publication that provides itself on providing content through a feminist lens. Uh, The front cover of Stylist showed a bunch of flowers containing £20 notes with a tag saying, I'm sorry, we seem to have been using sexist imagery and language for the last few decades, but we're changing. Honestly. Signed, Mr Banker. Hmm. doesn't feel like they consulted any females when they did
3: this. Well, I also think it flies in the face of what NetWest is purporting to do around female funding at the moment, because they've come out with a whole bunch of initiatives. So it seems a little bit kind of at odds with the, the new feeling in the bank for funding female-led businesses.
1: Honestly, I'm really confused. Like, I'm really confused by this, because essentially, like, if you read the words, the words all actually make sense, don't they? Like, actually, sort of saying our behavior has led to huge financial, you know, confidence gaps that we're not treating people like like all of these things are. Sensible, but somebody's designed this in a way to make it sound patronising when they're trying to apologise for being patronising. Like we've been talking about a dress like a banker day for Eleven FS for uh-huh. ages. That would be literally the guy I would come dressed uh-huh. as in terms of the the bowler hat, the umbrella on my uh, on my arm type vibe. But that would be for Halloween, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're looking at doing it this year actually. So uh, we'll, we'll more news on that soon, guys. Uh-huh. But I, th- I think it's really shame because actually, like we know those guys pretty well, and if you look at somebody like Alison Rose who's over there, you know, deputy CEO of the company, she is the um, probably one of the most senior flying the flag for f- senior females in financial services. I just can't feel that she would have even have seen this. Or if not, then why not? And that's the worrying thing. You know, to my point a minute ago about it's hard to do marketing well in big organizations. Then this shows that even with very senior, very smart females at the top of an organization, people can still fuck up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sort of reminds me of when the leak of the redesign of the Halifax app came out. Uh, and it was actually a design agency that had shown it from somewhere else. Mm. When you have this massive ecosystem of suppliers and you have these massive processes, it is hard sometimes to get control of them. And I, I think that's
1: a really good point. But uh, but I guess on, on the flip of this, you know, what we were just saying about um, CBA, you know, it went through all of those rounds and had weird things added to it. At what point did somebody not see this through the NatWest sign-off process and go, guys, this is pretty fucked up. We shouldn't do this. Processes are weird like that.
0: Processes tend to worry about the wrong things. Like the committees worry about how the, the terms and conditions on the contract would be perceived. And you end up in a big argument about the minutia. And nobody ever gets to look at the big picture and go, what the hell is that thing doing there? Like, and and I think, actually, it's almost damaging that because the, the nature of those processes are also distributed and also big the ownership is almost diluted to a point where it's hard to do that because I completely agree I imagine if Alison had seen this she'd have been horrified
1: but if you, if you map this into you know uh, Monzo just did a TV advert right and, and Gary you guys have just been on TV doing a TV campaign for Zero like you guys have got the tone uh, I mean you did not make this type of <laughs> statement. Just pointing out for anybody who have not seen the zero of the Monzo uh, or the Monzo uh, TV adverts, but you know, you didn't make these sort of weird grand gestures in it that didn't really make any count. You know, con- I, it reminds me of actually the Revolut problem that they had. You know, the the whole sort of "you okay, hun?" Yeah, like intent is so important in communications, and it feels like the intent in this was just off the mark. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I think this is the cla- This is literally. Um, a a PR agency has pitched a bunch of ideas and this is one of them. And the intent is actually genuine. And and so so like like many industries, not just banking, uh, the tone deafness that, that um, has been demonstrated when it comes to where women fit and the messaging and just like the, the, the whole kind of white male patriarchy, which is a whole other conversation. So absolutely redressing the balance is really, really important and wholesome, and we have to do that. But this looks like a PR agency has picked a bunch of ideas literally lifted and, and and it's a good it's a, it's it's intent is good but the execution's not so good mm. and it just obviously hasn't had the, the the editorial sign off and so and 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 I and I when I read it I thought how many women were involved in this because that should have that should have been an alarm bell
3: I was on the round table for that report <laughs> I don't think anybody mm. many of the people wouldn't have Signed it off.
2: Yeah,
0: well, and of course, this report. Um, do you want to just give a little bit of detail about that?
3: Oh, yeah, I was, and my thing was on financial education for women who are raising finance because it is all about women potentially being excluded from the financial journey, whether that's lending or it's venture capital or other kinds of equity investment. And how can we change that? And NetWest, as I said, come out with some digital platforms now and they're moving into the space. So I was keen to get involved because I think it is about education. A lot of times I think people don't understand what's out there in terms of funding at the right time at the right price, so they don't access it. But also there are other things around fear and confidence, et cetera.
1: But it's it's sad that, again, this will make the headlines, but yeah. you know the Rose Report that those guys have come out with and you know, people like Wincy Wong over at RBS wow. who are doing so much for championing females in financial services. And it's like, I mean, it kind of tarnishes... They, this tarnishes that in a weird way. Because you have so way. many
0: people you could point out and go, yeah. look how good they are. Look at that example that we can all learn from.
3: Yeah. I think we, we had a, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, when the, after the report came out, there was a bit of a celebration um, because it's an all-party parliamentary report. And, and everyone who was contributing to the report was there and everyone talking about the things they were going to do. And I felt a sense of, when she was there, Alison was there, this is a beginning and now things have to happen. It's great to put it out there. It's great to report on it. It's great to see what we all said. But things have to actually happen over an extended period of time, or nothing will change. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, I think that uh, to cut them some slack because the intent is obviously, obviously genuine, and it's it's entitled the message to all women. If the byproduct of this is actually it's a message to all men, and what it's doing is surfacing the issue, and that we're talking about it, and, and actually, if if the if the if the takeaway from this is actually men see this and realize that there needs to be changed and it isn't isn't completely here is what time deafness spot. looks like guys <laughs> don't do that don't well, do that but
1: if anything i've definitely got my halloween costume sorted yeah, yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> uh, i think we can all come as it um all male panel dressed as bankers halloween is here <laughs> uh that wraps up this week's news show um thank you very much to our guests this week where can people find out more about you gary
2: uh, so we're at zero.com it's X-E-R-O, we, like really disastrous. We should have called ourselves Aardvark Accounting or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're at the very end of every list, list and it's not phonetically uh, spelled. You needed so, a number, man. 11 we, and a totally, month. totally. <laughs> uh, like, so, maybe a one, maybe two yeah. ones. <laughs> uh, so uh, Xero.com uh, and I'm uh, probably most contactable on my Twitter account, which is at Gary Turner. Fantastic Twitter handle.
0: Um, uh, how about yourself, Helene? Uh,
3: Helene is in transition, so watch this space. But you can find me at Panzerino on Twitter, and more news coming.
0: Ooh, Ooh.
4: foreshadowy, 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 Uh Norris, how about yourself? So if you haven't tried Moniz yet, I suggest you do it right now. Go to App Store, download the app called Moniz, and I'm going to give you free stuff. Ooh. So uh, if you use the code 11 gift. You will get three months premium money, which basically removes all the fees. You can send millions abroad, use your card anywhere on the planet. It's all free. Yay. Very good. <laughs> uh,
0: I like the sound of that. 11FS gift was that?
4: 11FS uh, gift. I like the sound eight, of that. Eight letters, eight characters. Very good. Beautiful. I'm signing up right now. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> I've
3: really done it. <laughs> no, I really
1: am. Um, all right. How about you, David? Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at David Breer. Um, You can find me at
0: S.Y. Taylor. Um, What did you think of today's stories, listeners? Let us know on Twitter at fintechinsiders or email podcasts at 11fs.com. And don't forget, if you love the show, please, please leave us a review. David still reads them out loud in the office. I do. I (laughs) know no other way to read. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Periscope, uh, for a whole load more content, of course, including Fintech Insider on air and our new show, uh, Pulse Home Screen, which... Uh, sits with the creators of products and goes through uh, what is this product how did you make it what were you thinking and what were the design patterns if you're into building product i think you'll absolutely love that show on youtube and on periscope thank you for listening
3: and goodbye for now